You're listening to Louisiana Insider, a superlative guide to a great state's destinations. Hosted by Errol Laborde, executive editor of Louisiana Life Magazine. It's not Louisiana song. It's my favorite melody. It's not Louisiana song. Hearing it echo through the cypress trees. song Louisiana describing one of maybe the all-time great disaster in the state's history the uh, great flood of 1927 unfortunately there'd be many other disasters to follow in um, uh, in the years to come especially a, a lot of them uh, are uh, hurricane based and fortunately there have been some people that have tried to to provide some help including a group known as the Cajun Navy uh, with me is uh, Rob Godet who's the founder of the Cajun Navy hey Rod Rob? Hi. Hi. How are you? Thanks for having okay. me. Um, I know you, you all came together like around the time of Hurricane Katrina. Uh, I personally heard started hearing a lot about you when there was that flooding in the Baton Rouge area. Could you tell me like what the the Big Bang moment is when when your organization started coming together? Sure. Yeah, the Cajun Navy was first. I guess the term was first used during Hurricane Katrina, which was 2005. Um, of course. It really took off in 2016, and and fa the fact is that the difference is technology and social media. It just we didn't have Facebook in 2005, so you could you could come up with all the names you wanted, but how did you get broad recognition of it in 2005? So nobody really it just didn't gel. Um, but 2016, the fact is social media, Facebook, mobile technology 
which were all in existence, obviously just four years ago, um, also enabled the Cajun Navy to gel as a brand, develop a following and really um, begin to take off. So social media technology is um, absolutely critical to what we do. So do you remember like some of the early examples of, of rescues or things that your group did? Yeah, oh my gosh. Um, I, you know, I got involved after seeing rescue requests on a Facebook group called the Cajun Navy, which I did not create, I joined. Um, and my background in marketing, social media, I'm a, I'm a senior software developer. Um, I recognized that the requests for help through a Facebook page were very unique. Um, and I realized I could help and they, it really wasn't very organized. I volunteered my services through the group to help organize it. And they kind of gave me the keys to the kingdom. They made me a group administrator on the spot. It had about 2000 people in it at the time. And this was in 2016, August, probably about August 14th. Um, and uh, from there we started um, I started pulling in volunteers to gather these requests for help into a spreadsheet and then have other people find voters to download a, a mobile walkie talkie app so we could communicate with them and then send them specific directions to go do um, rescue requests. And that's how it started. And there's so many and so many examples from a guy named David who was stranded in six feet of water holding onto a fence. Um, a group of boaters came by that the boat was completely full. Um, he was holding his dog, by the way, um, and they, they couldn't fit him in the boat. And but they promised they would come back. Well, it got dark. David held onto that fence overnight in six feet of flowing water. And we're not just talking, you know, swimming pool water. We're talking water filled with all kind of with snakes, ants, um, chemicals. Um, and he was re recounting the story to me as he's living in an elderly family's um, extra bedroom because he had no place else to go because his home was also under six feet of water and David um, David was a really tragic story he he survived but David um, David never really was able to rebuild his life I, I don't I've lost touch with him but I'm not sure what happened but that's just so indicative of what happens it's a full cycle um, these disasters in the front end overwhelm first responders it's quite impossible to have a team of people ready to go to do rescues so citizens step up and help and the truth the truth is we always have um Katrina even probably the the song you were playing at the opening of your show the 1927 great flood you can see photos of people in boats going and helping people but the difference is the efficiency that an instant communication system like on a walkie-talkie app on your mobile phone has where you can communicate directly with a boater to go and perform a rescue and that's really that was the genesis of what became known as the Cajun Navy. It's, it's a technology-based system though. We've had boats and floods for 6,000 years. I mean, since we built the first boat and um, people have hopped in their boats and helped their neighbors. But now we can do it in the same way that fire and police do by dispatching real citizens to go and do these, this type of work. So the image of the Cajun Navy is always um guys in boats, which I guess is the, the main thing, but you had this, uh, this, this critical dimension and that is a guy who communi can communicate, uh, a guy with the technology. Yeah, so, uh, you know, for every guy in a boat, there'll be three to four people working from their homes to know what that guy in the boat should be doing and directing him. Of course, the cameras never capture that. Um, you may every now and then, you know, if the cameras are on that guy, you'll see him holding his phone and he'll be talking to somebody on it. He's talking to somebody 
working from their home as citizen. And a lot of times these are 911 operators who in their free time, or maybe they're retired, they come in and they help us out do dispatch. It's what they do for fire and police. They'll do it for us. Um, but they're citizens, they're unpaid, they're volunteers. Um, and that's in the, there's two responses to disasters. There's the rescue and then there's the rebuild. Rescue will last a day to, to a week. Um, 2016 flooding lasted almost 10 days. Um, but the rebuild can last years. And what people don't realize is, you know, the, it's easy to see the boaters and realize, oh my gosh, there's not enough sheriff department and, and national guard to do all of these rescues and citizens can do it. So we do because their systems are overwhelmed. Those same systems aren't capable of handling the rebuild either. So the citizen response in the aftermath, um, is really critical and people forget because the cameras go away because there's not some sexy Cajun riding around in a boat. <laughs> now we're now we're having to get into the nitty gritty of helping people rebuild their lives. And um, I, I'm in Lake Charles right now. It's the tragedy is right now, there's about 16,000 elderly people who didn't have mortgages on their homes. And what that means is they didn't have homeowners insurance. So now how do you tear down your home and rebuild your home when FEMA gave you $8,000 and you're living in your home while three of the bedrooms were smashed by a tree? That, that is something we are dealing with every single day. And it's, it's a tragedy, it's a, it's a mist. These, these people have fallen through the cracks and these are people who paid their, you know, they, they had jobs, they're good people. And we're the Cajun Navy, so is this also the second responders. That's what we've become. Our my organization is helping these folks to find out how to how to rebuild their lives and get back on their feet. Yes, this is way more than a guy in a boat. I mean, you're providing legal and, and technical services. We are. We're talking to folks. We're finding out where they are. Um, I talked to um, a lady last night, Miss Letitia. On September 9th, barely 10 days after the storm, she got a check from FEMA for about $6,000 and it was not enough to rebuild her home. And FEMA gives them 60 days to appeal it and it's the 60 days are passed. So what do they do? They have no, they have no other options. They, they really are gonna rely on a charity of some kind to get that, that additional money or help get their home rebuilt for free. And so, you know, it's one of those things, there's no like, smooth workflow system in place to help these folks. And I'm really just finding out there's no even case management happening on these individuals. They're really just kind of lost. And it, there's a lot of them. It's, it's pretty overwhelming. And well, no, they're sitting in their damaged homes while it rains and trying to figure out how to keep water from, get, from buckling their floors and getting mold in their homes. Well, no, you've seen a lot of damage in a lot of places. How bad is it in Lake Charles? Is it, is it the worst? Yeah, uh, when you when you're there for more than a couple of days, you really um, unfortunately you get used to it, and then when you leave and you come back to Lafayette, like where I am right now, you're like, oh wait, this that's right. You're not supposed to see, you know, thirty homes on a single street with the roof caved in, right? With people trying to mow their lawns um, on those caved in roofs. It's it's a war zone is the only way to describe it. Um, even now it's four months and four months, it feels like two years, the amount of things that have happened and people we've met, 
but um, it four months later, it, it's that's not very long, but it's long enough for us to have a lot more progress in the community. And you know, you don't see poles in the street anymore. You know, the we were there that very morning. Um, drove in, drove down Lake through Lake Charles, and you're you're driving into people's yards to vote telephone poles and wires across every street and across the entire city and across six parishes. We have to realize it's not just Lake Charles, but it's Sulphur, Vinton, Hackberry, Cameron, Ragley, Moss Bluff, De Quincey, Leesville, uh, probably Iowa, 20 or so communities that were um, horribly damaged. I mean, horrible is barely strong enough a word. Um, and you don't recover from that overnight. It takes a very long time. And then plus they had another hurricane come. And so they got two in the same season. Yeah. Um, Hurricane, Hurricane Laura ripped off people's roofs and Delta rained in it. And this, this region of the country is arguably the most devastated probably in the history of the United States to have two hurricanes back to back. Um, Laura was the strongest hurricane to ever strike Louisiana. People think it's New think it was Katrina, but it wasn't. Katrina's impact was because it hit New Orleans, which has is a much larger population um, and New Orleans is in a, everybody in Louisiana knows New Orleans is below sea level. It's protected by a series of levees and pumps, pumping stations that keep it from flooding. Um, Katrina was a, a major rain event that hit New Orleans directly and caused the city to flood. And that was the problem with um, uh, Katrina. But Hurricane Laura was a category four, just a few miles away from being a full pledge category five. And, I'm told that when it hit Cameron and Hackberry, it was still, it, the winds were well into a category five um, hurricane and it hit six parishes and just devastated every, every, every building, every pole, every tower, over 900 towers were pushed over across six parishes. Um, and it was arguably, that region is the most devastated region of our country probably in history, maybe next to the earthquake I remember from the eighties along um, in San Francisco, but probably worse than that just from the the sheer devastation um it, it's it's unbelievable you know you you see a tornado and you see this tornado well it, it ravaged 70 homes and went down you know went a mile or three miles down in a neighborhood um imagine that hitting you know six counties or six parishes and 40 towns or 20 towns and um you know you see the damage and you think oh well i'll turn a corner and everything's good you can go to the convenience store well you can't because everywhere you go through for miles and miles and miles and hours and hours is devastation. And that's what Lake Charles in Southwest Louisiana is like, even now. Now you also went, was it two years before into, uh, into Houston with all the street flooding? So yeah, and Hurricane Harvey um, was two, a, a year almost to the day after the Cajun Navy really formed, which was in Louisiana. Um, the 2016 flooding in Louisiana was, Harvey was uh, in Texas, you know, about three hours from where we live and um, almost a year later. And, you know, uh, I really, I really believe the Louisiana flooding was the, a rare event where we wouldn't see that kind of flooding again. And, and here a, a year later, we see the same exact kind of massive flooding in the Southwest, Southeast Texas area from Beaumont, Port Arthur and H's over to Houston, down South to Victoria, um, a very large region. And we showed up again 
Um, and to get there, we actually had to go down through Holly Beach and up through the Sabine Pass and up through Port Arthur because I-10 was closed because it was flooded. And um, we ended up coordinating about 4,000 rescues, boat rescues by, through Hurricane uh, Harvey. We didn't, it was difficult for us to count in 2016 because we were just getting started. We really were trying to figure out our systems and, and we don't really know how many people we rescued in Louisiana, but in Harvey, by this time we, we were experienced enough to create a spreadsheet and start collecting names. I had over 200 volunteers running shifts for almost two weeks um, in Hurricane Harvey doing rescues. And um, it's interesting to go back and read those cases of, you know, people stranded in, I, I searched the word snake in that spreadsheet and six cases where people were in water and there were snakes in the water with them or on their roof with them. And um, that's just one example of, you know, just dozens and dozens of um, rescues that we performed and you rescue people, but you also go and help people that are stranded with that are landlocked. So you deliver water. We delivered water to pregnant, you know, a pregnant woman. We uh, would go and pick up pets that are stranded on roofs after the people had been rescued. And there's so many cases of rescuing cattle and horses, pulling them from standing water over to dry ground. And um, so, yeah, the boat rescues are really, really a big part of what we did in Harvey. Um, and in fact, I got a, I got a call two weeks into Harvey from Marco Rubio. My phone rang. I answered it. The gentleman on the other side said, Rob Godet. I said, yes. He said, Rob, this is Marco Rubio, Senator Marco Rubio. I said, oh, hello. He said, um, as you know, Hurricane Irma is headed straight to Florida. It's supposed to go right up the middle of the panhandle from the tip all the way to the north, and we're evacuating the state. Um, and I'm wondering how citizens can, the people that, for the people that are staying behind, how can you help them be organized and ready to go as soon as the storm passes? And so, we ended up organizing um, uh, some of the campaign offices of various people across the state and teaching them how to use social and mobile technology to, to collaborate and organize. And we ended up staying and helping with Hurricane Irma ourselves for about six months after it passed over Florida. It wasn't a direct hit like they anticipated, thankfully, but we still were still an enormous amount of damage. Now, I was reading a story on, the, um, on your website. I think it was um, a nursing home, I believe it was in Port Arthur that some of you people got in there and there was one woman uh, in her wheelchair and she was like a foot and a half of water was up and they, the water was dirty and they hadn't had food. It was just a terrible sight. And yeah. uh, I, I think that your people were able to notify the authorities and ultimately get them, but, but, but that was, uh, it's, it's kind of a moving story. It is, um, you know, we have people in our community that rely on the care of others and nursing homes are, are one instance of that. Um, what we don't realize is the people caring for them, they're, they're trained nurses or they're trained in healthcare. They're not trained in rescue. They don't, I mean, there's a lot of these organizations don't have a plan in place. I mean, how do you have a plan in place for having six, six, three or two feet of water in your, in your facility and, and rescuing and, and being able to put those people somewhere else when everywhere you go, there's two feet of water and you don't have the trucks, like you can't carry them on your back. So boaters end up coming and helping in those situations as well. And um, even beyond nursing homes though, people are, people in need, there's people in need, let me put this, there's people in need before these disasters happen. Um, and when something like this comes through, the organizations that are supporting them, churches, 
local nonprofits, organizations that are designed to support um, people that really need need that need emotional or physical or financial or um, just you know support because they're elderly or disabled. Those organizations are also damaged, and so the people that have been relying on those organizations no, can no longer rely on them. They're left to their own devices, and I've seen so many cases of that. That's it's one of the most tragic um, because they often don't have the networks of friends or support or the finances to help themselves because they've been relying on others for so long. They don't really have that. They don't have the means to get it to get things done, and they really fall through the cracks. And it's it's really tragic. Um, but does the Cajun Navy have the the means? We, as a communication platform, we can alert the authorities and the, or the people that can help them to those cases. And that's one of the things we do um, when we come across um, somebody in need. If we can help them, we do. Um, we were just yesterday in the last three days setting up platforms for an entire family that's living in tents in their, in their, in their backyard. They, they are in all effect homeless, except they have a yard to put their tents in. Um, with no means to rebuild their home, um, not sure what they're going to do. And this is a family that has three, uh, three young children um, and an elderly woman that uses a walker to get around and they're living in tents. Um, we don't know what the solution is. Um, we don't have the funds or the resources to fix their home ourselves. Um, we we're clever and we're smart enough though to say, okay, what is out there available for them? And we try to find those resources and help them get those resources. They don't know. They don't know where to go for help. Um, FEMA will reach out to them, you know, and, and give them money. But a lot of times, um, you know, just the fact is that money sometimes is more, more money than they've ever seen in their entire life. Some of them maybe have ever earned in their entire life. And they don't know how to use it properly. They don't know how to hire a contractor, have that contractor come, give them a quote, pay the contractor to do the work. Um, that's not an easy thing to do. Even if you have, all, even if you have all of your stuff together and your life is rocking and rolling, you're doing great, and you know you're a, a, a good paying member of society. Dealing with contractors is hard for those individuals. It's quite impossible for. Um, many, many, many people in the Lake Charles area and many people affected by disasters, just dealing with the rebuild process. Um, and you have to, you have to have a job, you have your children to take care of. Sometimes you have your elderly parents to take care of. Um, it's, it's pretty bad. Um, I think people accept that that's their lot and they don't know that they can reach out and get help. And that's one of the things we try to do. If you go to our Facebook page, you'll see so many stories, just like the ones I described time and again, you'll actually see us out helping these folks put their, put pallets together, just pallets with plywood um, and for them to put their tents on so they're not in the mud, which is where they've been. They've been, it rained and their tents are in mud. So we, we put the pallets down on their yard so they're not putting their tent in a, in, in a mud pit, basically. We're talking to you, Rob Godet, the founder of the uh, Cajun Navy, a group that's just done a, a lot of good work uh, throughout the state and, and, and actually the region. Rob, the, the people that go out, like the people with the boats, do they, get, do they get any kind of funding for that or is just everybody doing this on their own? Yeah, no, it's, it's a complete volunteer effort. Um, no one's compensated, include myself. Um, I have a full-time job 
Uh, I work for a company in Baton Rouge. I'm a senior software developer. Um, I build business systems. I have a team of five developers that work for me um, for this company. And um, so I have to work this into my, uh, my day job. <laughs> um, my company has been great. They gave me, I guess, two weeks of paid time off to go and, and help. And I took my own week of P PTO during Hurricane Laura. So I was there for three full weeks. Um, and I'm lucky enough to work remotely, so I'm able to do what I do from anywhere. So I find myself in Lake Charles at our headquarters in downtown Lake Charles working for my job and then going in the evenings and, and directing our team. I have a team of individuals that um, are there and um, we probably have right now we have about five people, um, but it, it fluctuates. We'll have anywhere from five to 20, um, depending on groups we can get to come in and volunteer and take on jobs. Um, just before this call, I was talking to our team in the field. Um, they're taking chainsaws out and they're going and clearing trees still today. Um, we have a skid steer um, that we use to move the trees to the road once they clear it. And then um, the debris trucks come by and pick them up. So um, we, we probably have 50, 50 tickets for clearing trees still open. And we stopped asking for them because we're just so backlogged. From what you see in these communities that are ravaged by a natural disaster. Is there something that they should not be doing or are people building communities and neighborhoods where they shouldn't be or is just like anywhere in the world vulnerable uh, to something bad happening? You know, I drove down to Holly Beach um, two weeks ago. It was really the first time I'd, I'd had a chance to go down through Cameron, Holly Beach area. Some of the homes on Holly Beach were still standing. Um, Hurricane Rita um, in 2005, um, leveled all of Holly Beach, just destroyed it, leveled it. And these homes were built to new code standards and they survived a category four, probably close to category five, probably full on category five hurricane, right direct hit on Holly Beach. And they survived, even the roof survived. So I think building to new standards in these communities is gonna be sufficient. When Holly Beach can survive a category five. Well, let's figure out how they built those homes and let's build it further inland where the wind is tampered down a bit before it hits. In Holly Beach, you're right there. I mean, you're right on the water. There's no, there's no barrier. It's on the beach. You can look out over the Gulf of Mexico and watch those storms coming in and you're, you're the first hit is right, right there. So um, when Holly Beach survives, we can build to hurricane force standards. The problem is it's expensive and people, you know, people aren't rebuilding homes, they're repairing homes. They're repairing 50, 75, 100 year old homes that weren't built to those standards and they're gonna continue to get damaged until these homes get replaced. And who knows, I mean, you know, who wants to tear down a 100 year old beautiful home that has walls that if they could, the walls could talk and replace it with a, you know, a cookie cutter home. I mean, nobody wants to do that. And I don't know that that's gonna be the, the final solution, but, um, and that, you know, these homes are, are, they don't have mortgages and so they don't have insurance. And so many of them are, were blown down or, or being torn down, um, because of these disasters and are going to have to be rebuilt or just nothing rebuilt. But, um, I, 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 there's, there's no question that people along the coastline. Yeah, we are affected by natural disasters more frequently than if you live in, I don't know, Nebraska, but, um, these are our homes. I mean, people, people don't want to move away. It's their livelihood and it's your culture and it brings a lot of value to the rest of the country and globe. I mean, you can barely go to a restaurant around the, around the world without finding a bottle of Tabasco sauce. 
Well, Avery Island is right, right smack dab in the middle of the state on the coast. And that's where Tabasco sauce is made. So are we going to shut down Tabasco and move it somewhere else? You can't. I mean, that's where the peppers come from. So it, it's, it's not a fair statement to say that we should just move, we should just move and live someplace else. And frankly, for elderly people that have lived their whole lives there, it's a death sentence um, to have that kind of change um, out of their routines and lives. Um, it's not, it's not practical. And plus in Nebraska, people are vulnerable to um, tornadoes. Exactly. There's natural disasters pretty much anywhere you go from snow, flooding, um, tornadoes, earthquakes. Um, it's, and plus, and plus um, that, they're living in Nebraska. So we can go on. Um, I remember after uh, Katrina, there was a, a senator from New York State who was very, very critical about New Orleans and developing and below sea level right on the Mississippi and and they said, they said, never been a city here. And then what was it with Hurricane Sandy that hit uh, uh, New York? New Jersey. It was, it was, it, it, it was, uh, I thought, Superstorm I, Sandy is what they called it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought about that often. Uh, I, I read somewhere that when the, um, that the P-Rogues, that when they went to Houston, they proved to be quite adaptable because they're flat bottom boats and they really worked well on the streets of Houston. I mean, who would have ever thought that'd be P-Rogues on, on, the, on the streets of Houston, but it turned out to be a, a good rescue vehicle. You know, the guys with boats say, oh, I have a boat, I wanna help. And the first question is, what kind of boat do you have? <laughs> if you have a V-hull or a deep, you know, a, a, an outboard motor that goes too far down, it's not really practical because you're gonna tear up your boat. Um, that there's actually a motor, a type of motor and boat called a shallow drive. Um, there's a company called Gator Tail. They're out of New Iberia, just actually 20 minutes from where Tabasco is made. And they're actually good people, good friends of mine. And they manufacture shallow drive motors that are perfect for this. The, the motor is very high up. And so you have a very low, um, low entrance into the water. And they're designed to go in mud. You can actually run these boats through the mud and get them out. So um, they're really perfect for the the uh, floodwaters where there's debris and water and the wiser water goes down it exposes concrete roads and they're great for those types of uh, activities okay well before we go let me just, just ask you two kind of quick questions one what's the future i mean when the next hurricane season comes is there anything that your group learned from the past year that anything that you're implementing any new procedure yeah thank you for asking that we were working on what we call phase four for our organization right now. Phase one, we cleared trees through Grossport. Phase two was we served 50,000 meals in about 18 days in downtown Lake Charles. Phase three was the supply. This fourth phase is we're shifting to where we want to understand the process. How can this overflow of needs be dealt with much more efficiently um, through technology and citizens? And so right now what we're trying to do is help these individuals um, access as much funds as are available to them. And I think that's the next available, that's our next thing to do is to assist people. It's case management uh, and on a one-by-one -one basis and help people as deeply as we can, just as neighbors and friends and citizens access the resources that are available to them that they don't know about. If someone wants to be active with the Cajun Navy, is there someone they should contact or uh, or just... Yeah, no, our website is, is a great way to go. Um, GoCajunNavy.org. GoCajunNavy.org is our website. Um, you can register there. 
Um, and what we say is we're not a social club. We're not a, really a membership organization. We are a way for you to fulfill your obligation to your neighbors. So if you want to do absolutely anything, come and help. And we will, we will absolutely be able to put you to work. So people don't have to go to boot camp or anything for this. They just, uh, they just join up and be there. Absolutely. That's right. We'll house and feed you in Lake Charles if you want to come. Okay. And I assume the website would also give information if somebody wants to help support it financially. Yes, sir. There's a donate link um, right there on the homepage as well. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your, uh, your work. May you not have to do much of it next year. Uh, <laughs> we uh, hope we hope we'll be in lake charles for a couple two or three years probably it sounds so. like it sounds like yes, you, you know in lake charles it's been a long time since anything really serious happened in lake charles and all of a sudden just back to back almost yeah I, but lake charles is my hometown I, I i was i left there in 1983 when i was 13 years old and i can tell you i mean as a resident of, of south louisiana i've never seen anything like this anywhere in our state it's it's pretty amazing pretty devastating but it's it's a rare opportunity to give back to your neighbor as well. I mean, do, do you have hope for it? I mean, do you, do you think the town will be back and active anytime soon? Or It's the most resilient place I've ever lived and been. It's it's a pretty amazing community. Did you know the founder of Yahoo is from Lake Charles? Didn't know that. His name is David Philo. He gave two and a half million dollars to the Southwest Louisiana Community Foundation. Also a guy named Dr. Michael DeBakey who's the world's most famous and most renowned surgeon in the history of the world. In the history of humanity, he's considered the best surgeon ever, Dr. Michael DeBakey. And you know, Dr. John Oxner, who made Oxner in New Orleans, a big center for heart transplants, studied under DeBakey. And there so that influences- uh, There's uh, something to it. When you have that kind of influence coming from a place you've never heard of, it might be someplace you want to check out. It's a, it is a, it is an amazing town. Um, I'm a direct descendant of the founder, a guy named John Jacob Ryan. Um, Ryan Street in Lake Charles is named after him, so I know the history. It's, it, I look at it and I say, wow, this is a resilient community. It will be back. You know, the um, a few months ago, by the way, I went to McNeese. That's another story. But uh, okay, uh, a few months ago, the uh, Professor Lauren Scott, who's like the Professor Emeritus. Ec economist he does an annual state of the state financial report and it's a big thing a lot of people listen to it including me and he was talking about the future and a lot of things pretty gloomy mostly because of uh, of covid but he said lake charles is going to do a quick recovery and he said the reason is it got a lot of money coming into lake charles uh because of the nature it was, it was mostly wind damage and so you get more insurance payments and he he was more optimistic about lake charles recovery than he was about new orleans because yeah. New Orleans relies so heavily on tourism and tourism is going to be slow coming back, but that there'd be more flow into Lake Charles. So, yeah, we shall see. I know there's a lot of people in need, so um, there's a lot of work to do. Did you ever listen to uh, Lucinda Williams's uh, Lake Charles, the song? I don't uh, No, I don't think I have. Okay. Well, you can Google that. Okay. You, you should, okay. The Lake Charles guy, you should. Lucinda Williams. She did it about 10 years ago. And okay. It's sort of like a, a love letter to Lake Charles, and it's called Lake Charles. So anyway, okay. Thank you very much, and again, thank you for your work. It's been very, very informative. Yes, sir. Thank, thank you for Robert. having me on. Appreciate it. Okay, bye bye. Louisa, Louisa, that child washes away.
Thanks for listening to Louisiana Insider. Subscribe, like, and rate our show where you listen to your podcasts and follow us on social media at Louisiana Life Mag. Executive producer for Louisiana Insider is Kelly Massico in cooperation with Louisiana Life Magazine. For subscription information to Louisiana Life, call 504-828-1380. Our theme music was provided by Rich Collins. Hey, that's me. Join us again next week for more discoveries inside Louisiana.